0: As you're turning to Psalm 130, a uh, long time ago, I can't remember when, but I always wanted to do a sermon series through the book of Psalms. Um, when I was, and if you've been here for a long period of time, you may have heard this story before, but I really started to follow Christ um, when I was about 18 years old. It was really the first time I started reading the Bible for myself. I grew up a pastor's kid, and if you don't know that much about church or pastor's kids, we are so good at acting like we have it all on lockdown. We're all liars. We don't. We don't know. We just know how to play the game, and that's what I did for the majority of my childhood and my teen years, but at 18, I started reading the Bible for the first time, and at that time, my uh, grandfather that I was very close with um, had to go live in a um, assisted living home, and the dementia had, he had dementia and it set in pretty bad. And uh, someone that I spent weekends with, somebody that I just really loved and looked up to, my grandmother and grandfather. Um, And so I would still go visit him just about every week, Uh, and it was just deteriorating. Sometimes my siblings would be there, my dad was usually there um, with us. I remember the first time, pretty clearly, the first time he couldn't remember me, and that just uh, was awful. I hate that. I hate that memory. And then uh, it would get to the point where he couldn't remember my dad. Um, But something that always stood out to me and always has is as bad as the dementia would get, and the worse it got, he would just always just grab his Bible and say, let's just read the Psalms. And it was his way of not wanting to have to acknowledge... um, what was going on. I remember that being the toughest as he knew something was wrong but couldn't do anything about it and really didn't know what the worst it got. So from that time on, the, the book of Psalms has always been just the, um, incredibly heartfelt for me. It's a, a book I love and if I've ever visited one of you while you are going through a hard time or in the hospital, the thing that has helped me is going through hard times of um, just reading through the psalms one at a time or sections, and then just writing down how I relate to whatever the psalmist is saying. And I always encouraged people to do that as well. It might work for me. It might not work for you. Um, but I love going through the psalms. And in uh, the year 2020, there's a couple things that happened that year, you might remember. Uh, we actually did a, a series when we started doing church outside called Hope and Healing from the Psalms. And, of course, we only covered a very few psalms in, I think it was about 12 weeks. And I always want to go back and continue to add add to that. And we mentioned this a couple weeks ago. When you come into the holiday season, everybody has different feelings towards it. Everybody has a different way that they approach it. And I mentioned that for therapists or counselors, uh, pastors, people working in ministry, it ends up uh, you find out the, the truth is that a lot of people have a hard time with this time of year. Uh, it doesn't always bring great memories. Um, sometimes it's just sadness because you're remembering who you've lost this last year. Um, there's been three different conversations I've had in the last week with people, and uh, some of them don't even live here, um, who just said, I don't know how to handle visiting with my family, or I have a sibling we haven't talked to in a long time, or uh, how do we approach this time where the family gets together and there are people there that I hate or there are people there that hate me. Um, there's all of these different feelings that we go through, and I know it's not the majority. Uh, some people love this time of year. They love getting together with people. Uh, there's just really no bad feelings, and then we get in a room together like this, and we all, whether wherever we are, we just kind of put on a show sometimes because we don't really want to offend anybody so I asked Derek to decorate the stage tonight. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Derek didn't didn't do this, I promise. Um, But when we come to this time of year, I thought let's go back to the Psalms for our Christmas series and just go back here. And so we're calling this series through Christmas Hope in the Psalms. Uh, We have to remember, and I do want you to think through this, that everything we're going to talk about tonight is going to point to two things. And The stage has been decorated appropriately. Uh, The one is Christmas. And in order to really understand the Psalms, and if you look at Psalm 130, uh, it starts off by saying a song of ascents. And this would be a song, there's different Psalms that will have this title. This would be a song that the people would sing as they were making their way to Jerusalem. And a lot of times as they would be traveling to Jerusalem for uh, the different festivals, uh, the different times, especially Passover, the Festival of Booths, uh, they would make their, their way there. A lot of times, especially at this time, they would be taking what they were taking with them as a sacrifice with them. Uh, what they were going to offer as a sacrifice at the temple would be traveling with them. And so as they would travel there, they would sing these songs, these Song of ascent, uh, to remember what they were doing, to think about and to Uh, think through what was going to happen. And so tonight, as we prepare to take communion at the end of the service, I want you, as we travel through Psalm 130, to be doing the same thing, Uh, that you would be preparing your mind as we walk through this psalm together. Um, But back then, there was this hope that they were waiting for, this hope of the Messiah. Uh, When we see in uh, Psalm 130, or really anywhere in the Old Testament, when you see the word Lord, and it's like a capital L, but then a small capital O-R-D, that is really referring to Yahweh. Uh, We are waiting on the Lord, or we are waiting on the great I Am, or we are waiting for the Messiah. And there was this long wait involved. I'm going to mention this a couple times, but we don't understand that. Because for us, the Messiah came. That's that's 2,000-year-old history for us. But for all of time, from Adam and Eve leading up to Jesus dying on the cross, there was this wait for the Messiah. There was a constant wait to see if the Messiah was coming or if he was going to come and when is he going to come. And then you would be captured and sold into slavery, and you're waiting on the Messiah. And then you would be freed and go back to Israel, and you'd wait on the Messiah. And then another country would take over and pillage your country, and you'd wait on the Messiah. And then another country would come over and take you back as slaves, and you waited on the Messiah. And so when we see this waiting, we don't really understand it because we have the Messiah. We can have this relationship with Jesus. The the long-awaited Messiah came, and that's why we celebrate Christmas, the birth of Jesus, of him coming into this world to bring to us what we so desperately needed. And so now we will jump into Psalm 130. But I wanted to keep those things in the back of your mind, that as we are celebrating Christmas it's the celebration of the hope arriving here on earth. But also as we come to take communion tonight, it's a celebration of what was accomplished by that baby. As the song says that he was born to die, which is sometimes something we we tend to forget about. So join with me in Psalm 130. We're just gonna read through it one time and then we'll go back and walk through it. It says, Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness. There it is. I was hoping somebody was going to... But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can, with reverence, serve you. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord, more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. Before I move on, I should have done this at the beginning. Did everybody get a handout? If you did not get a handout, could you just raise your hand and we will make sure we get one to you? There's a couple. Sarah, do you mind grabbing some of those? We can handle it. Just keep your hand up and we will get you one as quickly as possible. So as we read through Psalm 130 in verses one and two, I want to start off just by pointing out that that first phrase, "out of the depths." Uh, When he says, out of the depths, uh, that is usually referring, especially in the Old Testament, to the ocean. Uh, That is referring to being basically out at sea with no hope, uh, with no source of rescue anywhere nearby. And I picture it as just somebody who is out in the ocean, they're without a flotation device, there is no hope, and they are feeling themselves starting to slip in. Now, as we read through the psalm, we realize that the person writing this psalm, what they're, what they're saying is that they have sinned. Uh, sometimes in the psalms we see phrases like this, I am stuck in the miry clay, I am uh, stuck in the mud, a picture of being caught in quicksand. And A lot of times as David's writing, it's not because of sin that David has committed, it's because Saul is chasing after him, or his son is chasing after him, or it wasn't anything he necessarily did to be in that predicament. But in Psalm 130, we see that whoever is writing this, they have done something. They have sinned against somebody, and now they are in this predicament, and they feel like they are out, stuck in the ocean, and there is no hope. They feel completely separated from everyone. It says, Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Uh, What we see here is a desperate, cry or a desperate prayer as you or I would be if we were out in the ocean and we had been treading water for hours or days or whatever and we just knew that was it. We just couldn't go on any longer. And so we make this desperate cry for help. We make this desperate scream with the last breath that we have hoping that rescue will show up. He says, I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. It seems that in his sin or in this person's sin, this separation was too much for them to handle with God. That there was just nothing they felt like they could do. And so they finally, at the end, And in talking to so many of you and myself, there just comes this point in life where we make a choice. Nothing else is working out, and so we make this desperate cry to God for help. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. As I was reading through this, I had the first question pop into my head or the first part of conviction for myself, and so I put it on the notes, and that is, what is your approach to sin? What is your approach to sin? How do you, when you know that you are committing sin against somebody else or you've committed a sin, uh, I love Psalm 51 because David says, against you and you alone have I sinned. Any sin that we commit, even though we might take part in it to get back at somebody, try to hurt somebody, chasing our own selfish desires, any sin that we commit is truly against God. That's the who we are truly offending in any sin. And so then when we come to it, how do we approach the sin that is in our lives? I wrestle with self-righteousness. I'm in recovery of self-righteousness. So something that self-righteous people can do is we are very good at justifying whatever I've done. Like It makes sense to me why I did this, therefore it's completely fine. However you do it, you're obviously not as good as me, and so that's a problem. Uh, I love the one saying, uh, I wish I hated my sin as much as I hate yours. Why? Because I'm used to mine. I can live with mine. I can excuse it away. And unfortunately, that can be the approach we take to our sin. Or we can hold on to our sin for so long that we tend to forget that God forgives that that sin can be erased because of who God is and his power and what Jesus accomplished on the cross and the empty grave. And so just a question for you to ponder, but what is your approach to sin? Now again, in Psalm 130, we are before Christ comes to earth, so I also want to jump on the other side of it. So if you would, jump to Ephesians chapter 2. I just want to read the first three verses in Ephesians 2. Paul is writing, and wrath if you were here this evening and you have never made jesus the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life then that is where you are but you're not alone everyone else has been there uh, even the people that are here follow christ we say all the time you have to preach the gospel to yourself every day every single one of us needs the gospel every day why because i'll speak for myself here i sin every day Something happens every day where I sin against God and I have to rely on the gospel that the the price has been paid for, that I have been forgiven, and now I just confess those sins to him and he is faithful and just to forgive us of all sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, 1 John 1, 9, and so that we can be back in that relationship with him. But all of us are either in that predicament where we know Christ, We know the gospel, we're following him, but we still need to continue to check ourselves. Or you are in the boat of, I have never uh, entered into that relationship with Jesus Christ yet. But all of us have been there, or are there, where our sin is keeping us separated from God. We are drowning in an ocean, and this is an invite to call out for help. We come to verses 3 and 4. It says, if you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? One maybe talent I have or something that God has given me is I have a pretty accurate memory and I can remember things for a long time. And it sounds great. Every day I battle bitterness and I battle angry and I battle holding a grudge against somebody. Having a good memory comes with the negative side as well. And so I know that I can keep a record of sins against somebody, even though in 1 Corinthians 13 we're told not to, I still can. I can still remember how people have held stuff against me or what people did to me. But then on the other side, you have an all holy, all knowing God who knows your thought, who knows the future, knows the past, knows eternity and yet he can offer true forgiveness. What a loving God. He says, if you kept a record of sins, who could stand? And I love, but with you, there is forgiveness. Amen. But with you, there is forgiveness. So that we can, with reverence, Serve you depending on the version you have it could say so that we can fear you or that we can worship you those words are pretty much interchangeable there but because of god now again take this picture we are in sin everything that we do is sinful we are the enemy of god even though he loves us our actions are displaying we don't care much for him we then come to enter into this relationship. we have forgiveness of sins and now it says, and now you can serve a holy God. You have the ability to worship through service a holy God. We can now, in this reverent fear towards God, serve Him. That is what we bring. Going back to Romans 12:1 and 2, we bring this sacrifice. These sacrifices would be offered, and some would be accepted by God, and it would be a, a sweet aroma to God of this uh, uh, offering being brought to Him. Other sacrifices in the Old Testament were rejected, but He's saying now, because of this forgiveness, we can, in reverent fear, come and with our lives serve You. That it's this picture is service is not a burden. Service is something that we now get to do as a result of this incredible forgiveness that we have received. So verses 3 and 4, I call the Lord's forgiveness. This beautiful picture of the Lord's forgiveness. And upon that forgiveness, I love Psalm 103, it says, You have placed our sins as far as the east is from the west. I love the beginning of Psalm 103, David says, Lord, I thank you that you do not treat me as my sins deserve. For a really long time, I started making that the beginning of every prayer that I prayed. As a reminder to myself, Lord, I know what I'm deserving of. For a long time in my life, I didn't think I was. I thought I was doing great. But now I know, Lord, my sin, just one sin is deserving of death. So I thank you that I am here another day. Lord's forgive I've uh, Romans 5, chapter 5, verses 6 through 11, again on the other side of now what we have in the Messiah, what was once looked forward to and now what we have, Romans um, 5, starting in verse 6, uh, Paul writes, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. That's another amen, I'm going to try it again. Amen. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life. Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. That being reconciled, that reconciliation that we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, this is now possible because of what Christ accomplished on the cross. Jesus is our forgiveness. He was the sacrificial lamb covering all transgressions and removing our need for an intercessor. That old sacrifice system where, like I said, they would be bringing their sacrifice up to the temple. All of that was done away with in Christ. And now, instead of looking and having to go to a temple once a year and bring our best sheep with us, now we have this beautiful picture of Christ being our priest, that we can go directly to him that we have this amazing forgiveness from the Lord. Uh, verses five and six says, I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. If you have ever been a watchman, you understand why he says it twice. Uh, I don't know what jobs or responsibilities or the, whatever you've had in your life, I've had all of the above whether it be youth group events that stayed up all night, whether it was uh, we took a missions trip with a youth group that I was a leader at and we drove from Rochester, New York to Salt Lake City, Utah, and we did it in five days on a school bus. Terrible idea. Don't do that. And so we would stop and then we would stay at a campground and everybody slept underneath the stars. You have all these teen boys and teen girls and we would send all the girls over there, and they would build a wall with suitcases in the bus, and they stayed there, and all the guys stayed on the other side of, the, of this big field, and the youth pastor assigned me to stay up all night in a picnic table and make sure never the twain shall meet. <laughs> and I only had to do that five nights in a row on the way to Utah and on the way back from Utah, and it was awful. And that's waiting. That is a watchman waiting for morning to happen. And I've had other jobs where I worked in law enforcement, and you would, I'd be at my desk just waiting for the sun to come up. And those moments take forever. Those moments seem that they just last and last and last and last. I remember just thinking like, okay, what has it been? 20 minutes? 10 seconds. Well that's awful but this is the picture we have of this person who feels like they are out to sea and they're calling out for help and now they're waiting and now they are waiting for the lord i think it's psalm 42 david says i'm stuck in this miry clay and i call out to you and now i wait wait And throughout all of, especially psalms, a big portion of psalms is dedicated to waiting on the Lord. It's not easy to wait. I hate it. I want things done in my time because that's usually what's most convenient to me. God tends to do things in his time and it turns out to be perfect. And even though I've gone through that experience many, many times, I just don't learn. There's still this process of waiting. No one wants to wait, correct? You can answer. Okay. Just say, if I'm the only one here, this just got really awkward. No one wants to wait, and while it may be uncomfortable, this might be the time that we learn and grow the most as we intently depend on God. Waiting more expectantly than watchmen, we grow weary looking for the first glimmer of light, but the psalmist is expectant. As we think back to this time in the Old Testament and the waiting and the waiting and the waiting and the waiting for the Messiah, but yet we continue to always see these glimmers, these representations throughout scripture. Uh, Two of my favorite stories, and I don't know if it's the Christmas story, but it's pretty close. In Luke, where we meet, I think it's Simeon and um, Mary, and there are these two, what is it? Anna, Mary Anna, went by Anna for short in the Bible. Just kidding, it was Anna, thank you. And it was these two elderly people who every day waited to meet the Messiah. We don't know when, but at some point, God told them that they would meet the Messiah, and so they knew as long as they had met the Messiah, they were going to live another day because they believed in the promise of God. And then both of them, we see, get to see Jesus in the temple while he's a baby. And they both basically say, okay, I'm good now. God fulfilled his promise to me. I was able to see the Messiah. But think of the waiting that existed from them to all the way up through their ancestors. The waiting involved waiting for the Lord, waiting for the Messiah to come. And he says uh, in the second part of, or the second line of verse five, "And in His word I put my hope." That's what their hope was found in, is what the promises that had been made of the coming Messiah. The word of the Lord. We see in uh, John 1, in the beginning, was the word. Jesus is referred to as the word of God, the, the living word of God, who represents telling us about God. And so the psalmist is saying, I put my hope in the word, that the words of God are true. And so I hold on to that. We continue on into verse 7 and 8. We'll see this theme continue. It says, Israel... Is now either addressing the nation, and I almost picture them as they're walking to Jerusalem. They are now walking, and as they're walking up to Jerusalem, more and more people like them are making their way to Jerusalem, making their way to the temple. And it's almost this shout out for everybody Israel, put your hope in the Lord. It starts off as very individual and now it moves to the entire nation or the entire chosen people of God. Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. And now, speaking of the Christmas season, this is what we have received. This is the psalmist explaining that in the Messiah, when Jesus came to earth, this, and when he accomplished what he did on the cross and the empty grave, and and what he did, this is now what we have received. This is what God's gift means to us. I've heard the saying for a long time, well, it's better to give than to receive. And I always say, "Eh, I don't know. Me personally, I, I like getting gifts. I don't like giving gifts. It's not, okay, number one, I am terrible at it. I am so bad at buying gifts. And I think I say this every year around this time, and afterwards people will be like, oh yeah, one time I did this. And I'm like, yeah, that one time is what I do every time, except worse. And everyone laughs, and, but I'm, I'm, very, I'm very serious. I'm awful at it. I'm so bad at it. Uh, in fact, a couple years ago I just finally decided like, um, If I buy you something, you will be seriously disappointed in it. If I don't buy you something, you're going to be seriously disappointed in that. But one of those options, I save money. So I'm going to go with that one. Uh, So if you don't receive a gift from me, just know that's how I do it with everyone. Uh, You can be offended. It's fine. I've now grown accustomed to offending people and disappointing people. It's what I do. So anytime, I actually get very stressed out about buying gifts. I just, I literally, I just am awful at it. And I wish this was a joke. It's really not. And so for me, I would much rather receive a gift than to give a gift. Uh, I, nothing, every time I do buy gifts, I just want to see the other person just glow with excitement. But I also read people pretty well. And so I always see the look of disappointment, right away like just this quick flash in the eyes and then they look up and they're like thank you this thing you know when a little kid draws you a picture you're like wow that's great what is it that's how i feel with every gift that i give anyway that was too long of a tangent on that summarize terrible at buying gifts me great at giving gifts god God gave us the ultimate gift. Why we celebrate Christmas, why we celebrate Christmas with gifts is a celebration of a God who loves you and knew what you needed more than you could ever know and paid more than you could ever pay. We celebrate Christmas as a celebration of Jesus coming to earth. We celebrate communion as a celebration of what he has accomplished. And then he goes on to list these i'm just going to look at these two things Uh, i'm going to give you a couple verses to write down but the first thing it tells us that he gave us in this gift says israel put your hope in the lord for with the lord is unfailing love unfailing love all of us could go on and on about the times that somebody said they loved us and then hurt us so immensely hurt us beyond, and and we would say, I would never do that to another human being, what was done to me. There is only one being that can have unfailing love, the creator, the holy God, and that is what he, his gift in Jesus to you, was this unfailing love. So I wrote down uh, Hebrews 9:27 through 28, uh, 1 Peter 3, 18. But then as I was looking through, I said, you know what? I'm just going to go back. John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. You see this verse. It is the most well-known verse. You watch college game day, it's everywhere. You watch any football game, it's there in between the goalposts. You see this verse everywhere. And it is incredibly meaningful, but not until I had my son did I realize what love that is, that someone would give their only son out of love to save the world, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I heard someone say that if you were the only human being that existed, God still would have sent Jesus, his son, to die for you. This unfailing love is an intimate love. It is an unfailing love. It is an all-encompassing love that as human beings we just can't comprehend. And that's how God loves you. That's how God loves each and every person in this room, that's how God loves every single child in the other building, that is how God loves your neighbors, that is how God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son. When we celebrate Christmas, this should constantly be on our minds. In fact, take Christmas out of it, it should constantly be on our minds how much God loves you. If you're wondering how do you change your approach to sin, meditate on how much God loves you loves you what god did for you the second thing and with him is full redemption jesus that next gift was a redeemer a redeemer that we needed so desperately without even knowing it that redeemer that was waited on and waited on and waited on generation after generation they waited on the messiah to come And the Redeemer came. I want you to turn to First Peter uh, chapter one. Starting in verse 18, Peter writes. Through him, you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. We see that again. Your hope is in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. We have a Redeemer. Our Redeemer lives. We needed to be bought back from sin and death, and Jesus accomplished that for you, and he accomplished it for me. I want to go back to where we started in Ephesians chapter 2. We read the first three verses. I'll read them again and then pick up in verse 4. So I think it ties in with Psalm 130 so well on this side of Jesus coming to earth. Starting 2 verse 1, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. All of us have been there or are there. And now I love verse four. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. If you were going to memorize one passage of verses this year, make it this one if you haven't. If you're going to meditate on one section of Scripture this week, make it this one. There are so many pieces in here that are so important to understand, but it's this love we were dead, we were trapped out in the ocean, we called out, and God answered. God answered. He brought us to himself through his son, Jesus Christ. I love the end, for you are God's handiwork. That's an incredible promise. When you're wondering about yourself or you're doubting yourself or all these things, remember you are God's handiwork. God does not make mistakes. He designed you exactly how he wanted you. You were created in Jesus, in Christ Jesus, to do good works which God prepared beforehand for you to do. What an incredible promise. What an incredible encouragement that you can have. We also wrote out some questions for you to consider. Uh, hopefully, you're in a community group. If not, please talk to us. We would love to help you get in a community group. or Maybe just have these conversations with your roommate, your spouse, your friend. The question number one, how would you evaluate your waiting on the Lord? I'm doing terrible. Just to, Let's just say you're a pastor and you are needing of a building in a short amount of time and the meetings keep getting moved back. Uh, let's just, you know. Just throw it out there. How would you evaluate your waiting on the Lord? Number two, where is your hope placed? Because whatever your hope is in, you will run to it repeatedly. You might not realize that but the thing that you go to when you are hurting, when you're angry, when you're upset, when you're ha- whatever it is that you run to to try to find happiness and joy or to get you out of the situation that you're in, that's what your hope is in. And so what is your hope in? And if it's not where it needs to be, putting your hope in God, your hope in the Lord, your hope in Jesus and the gospel, how do we change that habit? Number three, what are you waiting for expectantly? What are you waiting for expectantly? Like I s- said at the beginning, this, this can be a very rough season for people. So sometimes we have to ask the question, what has disappointed you before over the holidays? Uh, maybe you're just waiting for this season to be over. Maybe you're waiting for all of your family to show up because you can't wait to see them. but what are are you waiting for expectantly right now? What are the things in your life that you're waiting for? And then the last question again, how are you waiting? As we walk through the Christmas season, are you looking up to the hope we have through Christ? How are you actively waiting, staying active even in waiting? This Psalm reminds us that there is no other way Every other thing leaves us empty. I Think of Ecclesiastes, where says, like chasing the wind. You will never catch it. But all of us have something that we continue to chase after, put our hope in, try to find happiness in. We will be left unfulfilled and restless. But in God, we look and see this amazing rescue plan unfolding. Remember back in the spring, Mike Seaver was preaching and said, Think about this. Like, think about the the committee about, hey, how are we going to redeem the world? Oh, I know, we'll take Jesus, but we're going to send him to earth. That makes sense. Like, as a mighty ruler? No, as a baby. Born in a stable, in a manger. Who would have come up with this plan? How many committees would shoot that down right from the start? And that was just part of it. Philippians 2, that Jesus, the commander of the angels in the throne room of God sitting at the right hand, that we're going to send him to earth as a helpless baby to a teenage unwed mother. (laughs) And that's just the start. An amazing rescue plan that we've been able to see play out, that that baby would become the Redeemer for everyone who calls on Him. So I want to ask you tonight as we prepare our hearts for communion, the question of where are you? Have you called out? Have you made Jesus the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life? Where do you find yourself in this story? Do you feel like you're out at sea, lost and there's no hope? Are you the person who's just wondering, how do I get through another day? How am I going to deal with whatever it is that's coming up in this holiday season, the emotions, the people, whatever it is? The question I really want you to consider are, do you know Jesus or do you not? Have you entered into that relationship with him or have you not? And in a moment, where it's going to go to a silent time of prayer, and I, I want you to take that time. If, if you don't know Christ, to call out to him. Ask him to forgive you of your sins. Ask him to be the leader of your life. But for those of you that do know Christ, that are in that relationship, take this time and and ask yourself the question, what is your approach to the sin in your life? Have you confessed those sins to God? As we, uh, in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says to examine yourself before you take part of the Lord's table, before you take part of communion. How are you examining yourself and say, maybe there's things that are hindering my relationship with God because I haven't confessed them yet. Lord, I thank you so much for your uncomparable love for us, your unfailing love for us, in that while we were still sinners, you sent your Son to come and die for us, to defeat sin and to defeat the grave so that we can live, so that we can live with a hope, that we can live with forgiveness, so that we can live experiencing the love that only you can offer. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here who has never made that decision to follow you, Lord, I pray that they make that decision tonight. That you would give them the courage to come up and talk to me, talk to somebody uh, here on staff, on the stage, that they would come up and be able to ask the questions that they more than likely have. Lord, we thank you. We love you. We do all these things for your glory. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.